0: Please be seated. My name is Jay Andrew. I'm the rector at All Saints in River Ridge. It's nice to be here with you this morning. And I have been asked to lead uh, your New Consecration Sunday this year. And today is New Consecration Sunday. There was a sociology study taken a while ago that uh, I read that proved that when someone is going to make a significant financial commitment... Over 90% of the people in the study made the decision before they walked into the room. So like if you're going to go buy a car, you know like what you can afford or if you're going to go buy your, when you go buy your house, you already know what, what, what you're going to pay when you make a, a significant um, financial decision. So I tell you the results of this study right up front to kind of let the cat out of the bag. New Consecration Sunday is the day that we make a written commitment to God Through St. Augustine's. And virtually everyone in this room, over 90% of you at least, has made up your mind the amount that you're going to give. And that's one of the beautiful aspects of New Consecration Sunday. Through announcements, letters that you should have received in your homes, and a couple of sermons, we are given time to ask ourselves what is God calling us to commit? Or how is God calling us to respond? So, this, this might sound strange, but let's not talk about money. Okay? Sigh of relief. And let's talk about what the New Consecration Sunday team has been trying to teach through these letters and some sermons. Because the work that we're being asked to do has a name that we don't use very much. We almost never use it outside the church in our secular lives, and we very rarely use it here in the church. In fact, in the 10 years I've been at All Saints, uh, I write all my sermons in word, and so I I did a word search. I have never preached a sermon on this topic. Discernment. Discernment. I think one of the reasons why we don't talk about discernment too often in church is because discerning can be a complicated and lengthy process. I'll, I'll give you an example. From the first time I went to the diocese, I went through the Diocese of Delaware to be, yeah, I'm, I'm from Delaware. So congratulations, you've met someone from Delaware. There are not many of us. Okay. From the time I went to the first time to the Diocese of Delaware to become a priest to the first day of seminary, I was in discernment for seven years. Okay, now if you add when I was felt called to ordain ministry, that was when I was a teenager, it was fourteen years. If you add the discernment or what we might call torture of seminary, that was seventeen years I discerned to be a priest. Discernment takes trust and listening and silence and prayer and humility, and patience. And on top of all that, there are a number of impediments to discernment. And I won't even go into those. However, Paul teaches the Thessalonians in his second letter, and he teaches all of us through that letter, how to discern. How to discern. But first, I need to give you a little Thessalonian background. Okay, so First and 2 Thessalonians are two letters written by Paul, and they are the two earliest letters from Paul. They are um, considered to actually be the earliest writings in the New Testament. Two letters written by Paul, and since they're so early in Paul's ministry, they are what you would call, uh, their theology is what you would call Paul primitive. Okay, I'm not, that's not saying that Paul is doing anything wrong or anything. By that I mean that Paul was not as direct or clear in his writing as he was, say, in Romans or Philippians. You want, you want Paul in your face, read Philippians. Right? The first letter is written to a Christian community in Thessalonica needing advice. The second letter was written, and this is a great trivia question, or the answer to a great trivia question. So when you go to work tomorrow... Okay, pepper someone at work with this this little tidbit and they'll be like, "What?" Okay? Because the second letter li- literally was written 3 weeks later. So these two letters were written 3 weeks apart from each other. Now, it's been 2000 years since they were written, so it seems like they had to have been written really far, but it was 3 weeks. 3 weeks. And the reason the second letter was written because it was written because there was a, a panic had developed in Thessalonica. And here's the kicker. The panic was created by Paul's first letter. So he did it to himself. You see, Paul was so convincing in his first letter that when he wrote to the Thessalonians in the first letter that the end of time was upon them, they took that to mean like, like right now. So the men all went and quit their jobs. And they sat. They literally. I'm being serious. They sat around and waited for Jesus to come. They were just. I mean. I mean. You can kind of have this mental picture. They're just waiting, waiting for Jesus. Because Paul was so convincing. Second Thessalonians was written to fix that misunderstanding. And today's narrative is the place where you can clearly see Paul's shift from Jesus coming any second. To, Jesus is coming really soon, but keep your job. <laughs> However, and this is what's important for us today, Paul, Paul continues on beyond the shift. And he writes, while you are waiting and you're working, you must discern your next steps. You must discern what, what you're going to do with your life in Christ. And then Paul gives the Thessalonians and us actions for discernment. And this is in 2 Thessalonians 3. We read this today, uh, verses 6 and 7. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. There are two actions in those two verses we need to follow for discernment. One involves imitating and the other involves what Paul calls the tradition. We'll get back to that. When we imitate someone, we are trying to be like them. Oscar Wilde said it, I think, best: "Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness." Imitation is the sincerest, is the sincerest form of flattery. If you look further in Second Thessalonians three, you will find Paul calling the church to imitate his what he calls his toil and labor. Anyone who's been in a church for for just a couple weeks knows that Paul's toil and labor is shorthand for ministry. Toil and labor, that's how things get done, right? Ministry is what makes the church relevant. Ministry is taking our faith into the world. If you take your faith into the world, if you serve someone in the name of the church, you are taking Christ into the world. Paul loved that. And he was telling the Thessalonians and us, take your ministry into the world. Now, the other part of discernment is what Paul calls the tradition, which is a direct reference. Again, this is early Paul. So later on, he calls this something a little different. The tradition is a reference to worship and prayer. In another place in this letter Paul wrote holding fast to the traditions which is Paul's primitive way of saying continue to gather in community or gather and worship and most importantly pray. Paul in his early letters when he talks about the traditions is talking about prayer. Now I've come to learn being a priest for a while, that prayer may be the single most guilt-producing direction in the Bible. I'm being serious. It seems to me to be one of the most guilt-producing direction in the Bible. And I say that, and I'm serious about it because I've met with more people than I could count who somewhere in the conversation, no matter where I am, I mean, this has happened to me in the middle of Bromart, where they say, I know I need to pray more. Okay, but they don't say it that way. Right? They say it with a downward glint. Father Jay, I know I need to pray more. You know, because, they, because there's so much guilt. I get it. I don't pray enough either. Except when I'm at the dentist. <laughs> but praying at the dentist is another sermon. Okay? Now this might be the most radical part of my sermon today okay this this I think it is the most radical part of my sermon but I think you're ready for it prayer can be taking a walk without your cell phone I know it's radical I did it for 10 years straight from 1980 to 1990 and I'm still here to live to tell the tale now of course I didn't have a cell phone then but but still I lived you can do it it can be done Prayer is listening for God's voice. Prayer is in listening to another person tell their story. Prayer is in in thought. Prayer is in the silence of your life. Embrace it. If you want, if you truly want a taste of raw prayer, sit down by yourself in silence without your phone and read Psalm 62 from the Book of Common Prayer out loud. Now, I know you're dying to open it up to find out what it says. I know, I know. Wait until you get home. Just try it, and bam, you have prayed. Trust me. This process of ministry and prayer Paul is teaching in 2 Thessalonians is what the New Consecration Sunday team has been teaching over these weeks and through these letters and announcements, people standing up and telling you their story because it's the core of the new, the biblical teaching is the core of the New Consecration Sunday program. And the New Consecration Sunday teaching based from the Bible is why I love New Consecration Sunday so much. Paul is teaching us is asking us to discern what is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to be? What is God calling you to commit? Amen.